We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're kind of continuing our sermon series, looking at um, different aspects of what it means to be a Christian. Last week, we looked specifically at Jesus at the center of all that we do. Um, today, we're going to look at, at rest, right? What does Jesus do for us spiritually, for our souls, and ultimately for our salvation? So that's what we're going to kind of look at. Um, I don't know how, how many of you have already gotten summer rest in, summer vacations? Some, yes. Few? Okay. Some of you have. Like, some of you are like, I don't want to. Yeah. And then some of you are like, well, we went to see family and it's, it's rest-ish, right? <laughs> Sleeping on a bunk bed or an air mattress, waking up and you're in the middle of it on the floor and, right, it's rest-ish, right? Um, but I would guess that, that maybe if you're, if you're blessed enough that this, this summer, maybe you're going to get a little bit of rest, uh, a little bit of break in the routine. Maybe you'll go on vacation. Maybe you've gone on vacation. Maybe you'll go see family and friends. And I would venture to say what you're hoping is, um, is some time out, is, is a, a little bit of time to recharge, right? Um, maybe time to reconnect with people that you love, with family and friends, right? And so uh, um, I think those are things that we look forward to. Now, um, maybe on your vacation, you're going to spend a little bit of time on the water, okay? Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, maybe you've done that even this summer. If you uh, go enjoy the um, Horse Tooth Reservoir or Barker Reservoir, right? Um, any of these reservoirs that you go to, um, you get to enjoy the, the beauty of the water, maybe do a little fishing, um, let the kids play in the water on, on the beach, those, those kind of things, right? So I, I would say in general, reservoirs, provide a degree of rest, right? Vacation spots, those kind of things. Um, but that's also not always the case. So this is a picture of Big Bay Lake. Um, this is near Purvis, Mississippi, okay? So it's reservoir. Um, all the joy and the beauty and the things that you can do on a reservoir are there, right? Like any of our reservoirs, things like that. Um, but in 2004, the peace, the rest, the joy, the, the um, excitement of the reservoir um, drastically changed, okay? This is a picture of that reservoir. It's, a, it's an aerial photo of it, so um, it's a little bit hard to see, a little bit granulated, but um, what creates reservoirs often is a dam, right? In this case, um, in, in Purvis, Mississippi, um, this was kind of a, a, an earthen dam that they had created, had created the reservoir and all of the, the beautiful lake that kind of came out from beyond it, right? Um, but as any of you can guess, any reservoir worth its salt um, is only as good as the dam that is creating it, okay? So, looked real peaceful in the last photo, but in 2004, that all drastically changed. Here's an after photo of that day in 2004. Now, as I mentioned, a little bit grainy, a little bit hard to see, but if you look at the center section there, can you guess what that is? It's water, yeah. That was not a designed spillway. Um, that was a dam that burst, right? Now, how this went about um, um, is that they, they uh, had inspections of this dam, and as every dam does, right? Um, one of the workers came there on that kind of fateful morning, um, and he went downstream, right, on the bottom side of the dam. So the reservoir is all up above him. He's on the downside. And, and on that morning, he noticed that there was what he described as seepage, okay? Seepage, right? 
little bit of water kind of coming out on the downs, downside, right? So he described it as seepage. Not a big deal, enough to put in a report, of course, um, but it was just a little bit of seepage. One of his coworkers came back to that same spot just to take a look at it, kind of double check, um, and it was about um, two hours later, and the seepage now was a small fountain, okay? Said so he described it as about uh, um, a fountain about the size of a, like a pencil, right? So it was just kind of shooting out, right? So that's about two hours later. So now we've gone from seepage to, oh, a cute little fountain, right? And a little water spurting out. Next time they came back, about an hour and a half later, um, that seepage, which had turned into a small little fountain, had now turned into um, gushing water, okay? Now it was shooting at least 15 feet in the air, water coming out, and it was not the size of a pencil. Uh, it was the size of about two feet, right? Okay. Now, you can probably imagine the um, concern level had started to ratchet up, right? Remember, they're on the downslope side. Seepage, small fountain, the gushing water, and you already know what happens next. In fact, in pretty rapid order, um, the entire dam let loose, okay? Um, everything let loose. Uh, the, the spillway broke. Um, it flooded the town that was below it. So 53 homes were lost, uh, three businesses, and two churches. Now, in this case, um, the Lord was watching that town because they, there was no loss of life, actually, in all of that. But they lost their livelihoods. They lost their homes. Everything was swept away. So what went from um, maybe a peaceful time on the reservoir up above turned into a torrent and all of that water come raging down right through that city. Now, as you can imagine, anytime there's a dam that bursts, there's extensive um, um, investigations as to exactly how that happened, right? So they did that. They went back and they said, okay, how exactly did this particular dam burst? And it was interesting because they started with what they knew about the downslope side, the seepage, the small fountain. I don't think I would want to describe it as a small fountain after a fact, but, and the gushing water, right? They said, okay, well, we know water was getting this far onto the downside. But they said, these problems started way higher. And so after all the water had rushed away, they went up high and what they started to realize was the water that was coming out in the wrong spot below was starting out in the wrong spot up above, okay? So what, what um, they had created, and they said, the water, you water should stay within these bounds and you should flow in this direction. The water simply did not behave. What they came to find out were there were huge sinkholes just outside of that in that reservoir up above. So what was peaceful and quiet, people boating, enjoying their lives, what was below were these sinkholes that were creating, and the water was going down, and it was finding its way out the bottom, and eventually, it is what eroded the entire integrity of the dam, okay? Now, this, on some level, becomes our illustration for today when we talk about going to our Lord for rest, because I don't know where you're at this morning, but I think every one of us um, at different seasons in our life or maybe at different places, maybe it feels very peaceful, right? And calm, and yet maybe you're on the other side of it, right? Where you feel as though you're literally drowning and the water is rushing over your head. Okay? 
Jesus addresses both of those things today. He addresses the, the um, maybe at times our false belief that everything is calm and nothing is going on, even though just below the waterline there are cracks and there is seepage, right? He also addresses when the dam breaks and when the water comes down and when lives are torn apart. That's what we want to look at today. That's going to be our theme, right? I talk about how we find, we find true rest in a world um, at times that feels as though it's completely falling apart. Okay? So let's dig into our text here this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up of where we're going. Um, in general, these are going to be the three points that I want us to focus on today when we talk about that concept of true rest. Um, who is the rest, what it looks like, and ultimately where it's going to lead us, right? So um, what does that mean for us in our, in our daily lives and, and in our Christian living, right? So, okay. Uh, so we're going to start with our first couple verses here. Um, this is actually just verse 25 of our text. You're welcome to follow along in your bulletin. There's also a spot for notes if you like to make doodles and take notes, um, or you'll find it on the screen here as well. So we'll begin with verse 25 says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, okay? So this is kind of where we begin, and a couple things Jesus says. Number one, he says, at that time, and he says these things. So we need to, to define where, what exactly is going on contextually um, that Jesus is referring to us here, right? So he's talking about um, at that time. So um, he had been teaching his disciples. He had been sending his disciples out into their world. They were going to go with the gospel to share Christ and the true purpose of why he had come, right? And so when Jesus says at that time, it's remarkably specific what he's talking about there. Um, and he's actually referencing things that had just happened. So um, if you go a uh, chapter prior, Matthew 11, Jesus said this, says, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John. So he's talking about John the Baptist, right? So it was early in Jesus' ministry. He said, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So Jesus is referencing a lot of things that are going on here. And I think maybe, at least initially, our minds go to all the amazing things that Jesus literally had been doing, right? People who were blind could now see, right? Um, people who could not walk or could not walk now could walk, right? Um, those who had leprosy, which was a, was a death sentence at that time, um, were healed. They were cleansed, right? Those that could not hear can now hear, and even the dead were raised, okay? What do we call those things? Miracles, right? Miracles, right? Okay, so um, um, the majority of the time, God takes care of us, takes care of you through the natural means and natural orders that he's put in place in our world. But there are times when God himself or Christ himself says, I'm going to suspend the natural order of things and I'm going to show you something. I'm going to do something in order to point you to who I truly am. So the creator, the author of the natural world around us at times will step back and say, this is going to happen and it's going to look different than the other things that you normally see. And, and Jesus never did that just willy-nilly or by accident. It was always purposeful, right? The miracles he performed, the intent of those were to point others to him as their Lord 
and save, as, his, as their Lord and Savior, right? And so when Jesus says these things, that's what he's referencing. But here's what's really amazing. Um, the very last verse there, which doesn't maybe sound as astounding as miracles to us, and yet is, is probably the most important part of this passage. Good news is proclaimed to the poor. So those two English words, good news, is the word gospel, okay? And Jesus is actually packing this with even deeper meaning um, because he's actually making allusions to the Old Testament, right? Freedom for the captives and healing, right? Release from slavery, right? So Jesus says good news is proclaimed to the poor. So when Jesus says these things, he's saying these miracles that you have seen and you have heard, right, that you have witnessed, most importantly, this good news that is being proclaimed. What is that good news? Well, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, right? That he is nothing short of our king above. And last week, we kind of honed in on that. We said, um, Jesus isn't, isn't just a, a, a good moral teacher. He's not just a self-help book. He's not just uh, um, a wonderful example to follow, but he's nothing short of our God and our Lord above, the king of eternity. And, and Christ drove that home for his disciples, and he drives that home for you and I. And that is the singular message that he says, this is what I'm sharing. This is what you have heard, and you're going to continue to share with your loved ones and with the world. Good news, okay? Good news that sins are forgiven because of Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the reason I make a big point of this is because if we don't hold on to that, then I don't think we'll truly understand the rest that comes from Christ. And we can't truly convey or share that rest with those around us unless we know that that news is good, <laughs> that sins are forgiven, okay? Now, when we talk about that concept of rest, when Jesus talks about it, um, he, he, the, it's, it's steeped in Old Testament imagery, right? Specifically, when Jesus would have said, would have talked about rest for those Israelites, those believers that were there, probably what would have come to their mind, at least initially, was Sabbath rest, right? Was that they were not allowed to work on the Sabbath, right? On uh, what was a Saturday for them. So they were not allowed to work. That was a day that was set aside for the Lord. That was a day where you were to, to um, honor God with who you are, what you do, right? And keep him at the forefront of your mind and in the forefront of your family's mind. So within Jewish life, you talk about rest. It wasn't, the first thing that would have come up wasn't summer vacation, wasn't time on a reservoir. The first thing that probably would have popped into their mind was Sabbath rest, was worship was the equivalent of our Sunday, right? So when Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest, right? He, he, is, he is kind of reaching back into the Old Testament and for those Israelites. But what's amazing is he's also, in a sense, reaching forward to you and I as well. So um, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says these things, references all those miracles. Um, the very next chapter, chapter 12, a little bit later in our text, he's going to reference rest and specifically that concept of the Sabbath. So in Matthew chapter 12, he says this, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that may sound like a simple statement. Son of Man, who is he talking about? Jesus, he's talking about himself, right? He's saying, I am the promised Messiah, 
And, and here's the really astounding thing that he's doing for those Israelites, but as I mentioned, also has echoes and moves forward to us. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the day of rest, the day of rest that God had put in place. And so you think of how astounding that would have been to those Israelites as they hear Jesus, as they physically see him in front of them. And he says, I'm not here to be your revolutionary. I'm not here uh, to just be a good rabbi or a good teacher, but I, I am your Lord and Savior. And even more, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So what's Jesus' point? If we want true rest, if we want rest for our souls and assurance of eternal life, we will not find it in any other place other than the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the good news that the disciples were taking out, but that's the good news we get to hold on to as well. So when we talk about true rest, it starts and ends with the Lord of the Sabbath. We find our rest in Christ, that, that no matter who we are or what we've done, that Christ has paid those sins on the cross, that that burden is taken off of your shoulders, Jesus bore it on your behalf. So spiritual rest we find in no one else and in no other place than Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Lord of the Sabbath, okay? So that's our, our kind of our first point. We'll continue on with our text. Then Jesus says to them, says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, okay? Um, it sounds simple, and it sounds wonderful. How many of you would like a little bit of that rest? You're, you're being so kind and so patient, but you should all, you probably all want to raise your hand, right? I, I think that's true, right? And I think it was true of who Jesus was talking to as well, because life is remarkably hard at times. And let, we are under no illusions, you are under no illusions that, that, that you aren't weary, that you are, and maybe you're physically awake, but maybe your heart is heavy and worn out. Maybe uh, the, just the things of this life, right? The struggles of what it means to be a human, um, how weary life and just living can make you, and at times feel as though it's going to break you. So when Jesus says to those disciples, he says it to you as well. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He is assuming that you are weary and burdened. And I'm going out on a limb. You are. I think we all are. In different ways, at different times, at different seasons of your life, your weariness and your burdens may change and morph and switch. But all of us can feel that. Jesus knew that, right? And where does he direct us, direct you? To him, right? To him. Now, here's why that's important. Because I think when we are weary and burdened, there is a temptation um, to try to relieve that weariness and burden in places that can't truly give us spiritual rest. We try to fill um, 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 a spiritual hole with something that cannot fill it, right? And I've picked out kind of three places three things, three um, um, spots that I think we normally generally go, right? Um, we sometimes look to places, time, or people, okay? And here's what I mean by each of those, right? I think sometimes we're weary and burdened, and we think, okay, if, um, if I can just get to the right place, if I can get to summer vacation, I'll be able to recharge a little bit, 
right? Um, if I can, if I can uh, um, move to the right state, I'll find some rest there, right? If I can physically get myself to, to, into the right um, environment, then that's going to ease my weariness, my burdens, and I'll find rest there, okay? So sometimes I think it's location-based, right? Um, the, the old adage of working for the weekend. If I can just get to Saturday and Sunday, I'll be able to survive another week. And yet, on this Sunday morning, Monday is looming in our minds already, isn't it? Right? Sorry. It is, right? Um, and so I think sometimes we, we, we want place to kind of fill that, to ease that weariness and burden. Um, I think sometimes we want time, right? Um, so if we can just get enough time away, right? If... if um, um, if, if we can advance in our career enough that we can have four weeks off or three weeks off or two weeks off, but enough time, right? Um, if, I can, if I can somehow like go on a sabbatical or go on a walkabout, and just if I had enough time, it would ease all of this weariness and this burden, right? I just need more time. I've just got, I've got not enough time in my life. So I think there are times when we think, oh, well, if I just had an, ex-, have any of you ever said that? If I just had an extra day in the week, you want to know what you'd do with an extra day in the week? You'd work more. And you'd be more weary and more burdened. It's true, right? So we think time is going to solve that, and it just doesn't. It won't, right? Um, and the last one, I think sometimes we, we think people are going to do that. So we say, I'm weary and burdened, I'm worn out. Um, and at times, we improperly uh, um, hope and want people around us to ease our weary and burden, burdens, right? So a spouse is expected to do that. Or my kids, if they would just behave, that would help me with my weariness and my burden, right? If my coworkers just were a little more gracious and a little nicer, it would, I, I wouldn't have any of these problems, right? And so oftentimes I think we, we, we make people the scapegoat. We say if, and we, we expect that they are going to be responsible for our happiness, our peacefulness, and relieving our burdens. But the truth is they have just as many burdens as you do, right? Okay, so here's the issue. I think not that any of these things are not good and that we don't think through these things, but I think when we expect these things to fill the massive hole that only Christ can fill, we will be sorely disappointed. Uh, Augustine knew that as well. He had this quote. Augustine of Hippo said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you, right? It's sometimes been said that we have a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. People, places, and time simply won't do it, and we shouldn't ask them to do it, quite honestly. Only God can, right? And so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, he's saying, I will fill that spiritual hole. You will know without a shadow of a doubt that you are loved, that you are forgiven, and heaven is your home, okay? So that's our second point. He then finishes with this. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? So Jesus encourages us and says, I am the well source for where you can have your burdens and your weariness eased. I will fill that hole. And I think knowing that, it can lead us to understand that that doesn't mean that, that life is somehow a smooth shot straight to heaven. In fact, we know otherwise. The struggles, pain, 
heartache of what it means to be a human. But what Jesus does say to us is that in the midst of it, I will be with you. I will walk by your side and your eternal life will be secure. And so I think there's kind of four things that I want you to leave here this morning with. Um, The first is um, call call out um, the fake rest that that maybe you or your heart are yearning after. So just name it and call it out. Right? Don't expect your spouse, your loved one, or the people around you to ease your, your weariness and burdens. Right? Don't expect your job to do it. Don't expect a bank account or your kids um, or, or um, X amount of vacations. Um, they can't um, fill the spiritual ache that is in your heart. And so I think the first step is for us as believers to simply call that out. Right? Say, okay, I'm not going to expect these earthly things to do something that only God can do. I'm going to enjoy them, but I'm not going to ask them to be my Lord and Savior. I've got one already in Jesus. That's the first one, right? Um, And that leads to that second one there, right? Um, That we don't ask them to do that, right? And even those that maybe want to help your loved ones, your family members, we don't put that burden on them, right? Um, Don't ask them to be your Lord and Savior. You've got one, right? Um, Third one there, understand, right? Um, so simply understand that, that um, no matter how difficult life can be, that eternal life is secure and that you've got a Savior that walks with you through it, right? Those burdens, those worries, the weariness and the brokenness of life, God doesn't necessarily take those immediately out of your life, but he does say, I don't cut and run and I'll walk with you through them, right? So understand that no matter what, your Lord does not leave your side, okay? So call out, don't ask, understand. And the last one is simply know. And maybe this is where we can find a measure of peace. Know that you are loved, know that you are forgiven, and know that heaven is your home, okay? I think we know that intellectually, but at times it doesn't necessarily make its way from our head to our heart. But you need to know that. Know that you are loved, know that you are forgiven, and know that heaven is your home. And I think that gives us a view of what's coming, even in the midst of what is here right now. Christopher Love had a wonderful quote on that concept of looking ahead and the peace that that can bring us even in the here and now. He says, in this, here in this world, joy enters into you, but in the world to come, you shall enter joy. That's eternity. That's what Christ won for you on the cross. Not small glimpses of joy, not small glimpses of earthly rest or burdens being taken off your plate, but eternal joy with our Lord and Savior, enveloped, wrapped, living in existence with our God above and in the love of our God above in Christ. That's the peace we get to look forward to. Uh, this is Big Bay Lake today. They rebuilt their dam, by the way. And if you are in the market for a little property on a reservoir, some beach frontage, you probably shouldn't have listened to the history of Big Bay Dam, but uh, you can find it, right? Um, um, you, can, you can buy a house there and find peace and relaxation and all those things. I think we look for those things and long for those things this side of heaven. But here's what you can leave here knowing. In Christ, you have true rest, right? 
whether you're on vacation or, you, or your burdens seem heavier than you ever thought they could, or it feels as though the dam has just broke, you find true rest in Christ. He does not leave your side, and heaven is your destination. Amen.